Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Hi, my name's Camille Yurick, and today I will be reading scripture from Matthew 11, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All the things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you may have heard that um, a little while ago, Nike celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign. And I remember when that came out, it was 1988, I was 13 years old, and it was one of those campaigns, uh, and as I worked later in sort of marketing, you understand the genius sometimes of words. Um, the word Nike actually is, is from um, the Greek goddess uh, Nike, which means victory, and the Roman equivalent is already what Evelyn's middle name is, is Victoria. And so Nike, as, as a thing, is this, this idea of conquering, of being able. And so when they put the words just do it to this brand that had already been growing, it just felt like, oh, yeah. It was this word in the language around um, for anyone who was an athlete or a potential athlete or a pretend athlete or whatever, it was this idea that you can do it. Anything that you find, anything that you encounter, any obstacle, any challenge, you can do it. It was both like an encouragement like you can do it, and also like a, come on, just do it. It was, like, it was like that coach in your face telling you you can do it. And, it. and it kind of created this sense of, it put it into words, I think, not just about sort of athletic clothing and gear, but this idea and this mentality that like, hey, we can do this, I can do this. Whatever you put your mind to do, you can do. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had times in my life despite my positivity, despite my mental resolve, where I came to the point where I said, I just can't do it. I can't do this. You ever had that, an experience? A situation where what is required of you or what is needed in that moment or what someone else is asking of you, you say, I just can't do that. I can't. When we come up against situations and people and, and you know, it either leads us to, okay, well, I just gotta try harder or I'm just gonna be despairing about the fact that I can't do this thing that I have to do, I'm supposed to do, or I'm being called to do or encouraged to do. And maybe between those things is escape, right? I just kinda have to, I, I gotta take a break from this. I have to escape for a period of time or go somewhere because I can't think about the fact that I'm failing right now or I can't get this thing done. I don't know where you are this morning as you come in or where this place in life finds you. You know, maybe you're in a relationship where you feel like what is required of you, you say, physically, I can't do this. Emotionally, I can't do this. I don't know how to do what's being asked of me. Maybe it's an employment situation. Maybe it's a, there's a level of anxiety and worry in your life, and you're, you're trying to just stop worrying, and you can't stop. Maybe it's an addiction, a pattern of thinking. Maybe it's you're, 
you, you have a habit of gossiping or getting angry or something that you go to, some kind of escape, right, that you just can't break the cycle of. And inside you're like, I know I shouldn't. Or someone else is saying, why can't you just stop? Or why can't you just do that? Just do it in those moments is not only not encouraging, it's very, it's very discouraging. It can lead us to despair. It can lead us to question ourselves or just be angry at the demands that are placed on us. We've all maybe been there. Maybe you're there today. Now, for people of faith, you know, it's even more complicated <laughs> because to be a Christian is to say, well, you know, if, if you are a Christian, it's because you heard, in a sense, or received the good news of Jesus, which is that you are given a whole new life through Christ. A, a new life of, of forgiveness, of like experiencing forgiveness and being able to forgive other people, a life of courage, a life of strength, a, a, a life of um, humility, a life of being able to live for others, being able to um, pursue a purpose and a sense of calling. And yet if we're honest, right, all of those things, that's the new life we have. Many of us would say, well, why can't I do that then? I, I thought that's what I got in Christ. Why does it seem so hard to forgive others? Why does it seem so hard to receive forgiveness myself? Why does it seem so hard to, to have peace and to stop being anxious, to stop worrying constantly? Why does it seem so hard to think about others before myself? And so sometimes even in, in our Christian life, we can just think, well, I just have to try harder to do this. And sometimes the church and pastors are guilty of just sort of saying, just do better, be better. That is ultimately the underlying feeling that we get. And I think part of the reason that we struggle with that is because we have missed something along the way when it comes to our faith in Jesus, that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you'd say, oh, actually, that makes sense. It was something certainly I don't think I realized for much of my life in following Jesus. It's this, that those things of, of being able to forgive and receiving forgiveness, of being able to have peace in the middle of storms and freedom from anxiety and worry and the courage and strength to do what is needed in the moment and the ability to break habits and addictions, the ability to think of others before myself, are all the outcomes of the new life in Christ that come from us actually beginning to live in the practices and the ways of Jesus. We didn't just receive from Jesus a new life, we actually receive from him a new way to do life. He says this, Matthew 11, that Camille read for us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, this sounds good. Yes, this is, this is one of those verses we love, right? Take my yoke upon you. We don't know what that means. And learn from me, but I'm gentle, I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Oh, that sounds good too. For my yoke is easy. Don't know what the yoke is. Easy sounds good though. And my burden is light. It's like, oh, this all sounds good. What is that about? Well, Jesus, as you know, in his, in his disciples who followed him, they followed him as a rabbi and a teacher. And, and the, the yoke of a rabbi was their particular teaching. Like each rabbi had their kind of teaching and their way of interpreting scripture and understanding God. And so if you were a disciple of a certain rabbi, you took that yoke or that kind, that teaching upon you and said, okay, I will try to absorb this teaching into my life. I will try to live like you in that, in your particular way. And Jesus says this, hey, my particular way of life, my teaching, my way of living 
is, a, is not a burden for you. It's not something that crushes you. It's actually something you can do. You think, yeah, but that's not true, Jesus. I tried that. But what is it about the yoke, the teaching of Jesus, that as we take it on, it actually begins to be easy and it is a way of life that we are meant to live. And this was the missing piece for me for so many years, is understanding that in Jesus, we are actually given a set of practices that are meant to shape our life. We used the word a couple weeks ago that we've been using this, this month, is this idea that we are meant to apprentice with Jesus, that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be apprentice of Jesus where we learn from him his way of life because, thank God, he lived as a human being. Which is totally categorically different than religion, right? Religion is just do it. Do these things. And somehow in the end, you'll be blessed and you'll get favor and you'll get love from God. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, God loves you. That's why I came. But I'm giving you actually a way to live a life, a spiritual life that has very much everything to do with life, that is not about earning favor, but it is living out of the love that you have, these practices. And so we're actually taking this month to talk about what are the spiritual practices? What are the ways of Jesus that are actually easy and light? And here's the key, okay? A spiritual practice, think about this, is something that you can do now that will help you eventually do something you can't do now. Do you get that? The thing I can't do now is I can't just stop worrying. I can't just beat that addiction. I can't just stop gossiping. I can't just stop losing my temper. I can't just stop thinking of myself first. That's the thing I can't do right now. And instead of just trying harder to do it, Jesus says, hey, try this instead. Something you can do now that will eventually help you do the thing you can't do right now. That's what a spiritual practice is. That's the life that Jesus actually invites us to live with him. There is a way of living that as you do these things, which you can do that seem small, that seem insignificant, over time they begin to bring about in your life the things that you say, I can't do right now. I can't be that way. The challenge is with this is that some of these things that Jesus invites us to do, we have one of these moments. We go, yeah, but how's this going to help me with that? Right? How's this thing that you're inviting me to do going to help me with that? It's, it's what I call our karate kid moment, okay? You know that movie, right, where this guy, this young guy, he's getting bullied and beat up at school, and so he wants to learn karate. So he finds this sort of Japanese uh, sensei who's going to teach him karate. But he doesn't teach him karate. He makes him, like, uh, you know, clean his cars, right, wax the cars, paint the fence, and all this stuff. And he's like, finally he has this moment. I can't show you that part because he swears. He just says, I, I don't know why. Why am I doing all this stupid stuff? How is this helping me with that? I thought you were going to teach me karate. You're making me just clean your house. And then he has this beautiful moment, right, which we're going to watch now. Ah, so good, right? You're all going to go out and watch it tonight. Now, I know some of you, there's a couple of people in our church who actually run martial arts schools. You're going, that doesn't work that way. It's like, just give it to them, okay? It worked for that time. <laughs> right? But it's this thing where we say, well, Jesus, like the disciples actually had one of those moments with Jesus. They're like, how is this going to help us do that? In Mark 1, 
uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's going out and has these experiences, and it's kind of like the rock star life that the disciples had hoped would happen, right? That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. In other words, what are you doing? We were, it was all just, this is what we hoped for. Isn't it? Everything's going well. Why did you leave so early in the morning? Why did you disappear? And you're going, everyone's looking for you. Where were you? Later on in Luke, it says this, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Again, all this great stuff happening. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The practice the disciples didn't get but eventually started to figure out because they wrote this a little later was that Jesus often left to be by himself. He practiced solitude, and later on, the early church began to add silence as part of that. Silence and solitude as a spiritual practice that Jesus began to do in his life, that the church actually began to adopt. Then the moment we say, how's that going to help me with this? Well, stay with me. The practice of silence and solitude, this idea of coming away from what is going on around us and the noise and the people and the demands and actually being alone and having time to be silent. David Sherboneau in his book, Reconnect, explains what, what silence and solitude does for us. He says this, Devoted followers of the Lord have practiced silence and solitude throughout the ages as a means of deliberately making space in their busy schedules to listen and hear the voice of God. Without silence and solitude, we will never be able to fully enter into intimacy with God simply because so many other voices are contending for our attention and commitment. Basil Pennington used the metaphor of a pond to describe the importance of stillness in order to pay attention to God. When you throw a stone into a pond, he said, the stone will create ripples that reach to the shore all the way around, but only if the pond is still. When the pond is quiet and still, the impact of the stone can be seen over the entire surface. But when the pond is not still, when the surface of the water is already ruffled and tossed, the splash of the stone will go undetected. Where the wind has disturbed the surface, the stone can't be disturbing. Where a storm is present, there is so much commotion already going on that no one will notice a few waves more or less as they will be lost in the frantic motion of the surface. Stillness is always the prerequisite for receptivity. In our world, it seems we are constantly surrounded by noise and by people. In fact, we regularly speak of noise pollution. It seems to be very difficult, if not impossible, to be still and experience the presence of God. In addition to this, we are driven by the compulsion to be busy as many see their value and worth attached to what they do. So to be quiet and to be alone for periods of time seems to be less than productive and for some completely meaningless since we are perceived to be doing nothing. However, if we want to hear God's voice, we must move into surrendered intimacy with him. Then we are able to listen and hear the still, soft voice 
of God. And so rather than trying harder, despairing that we can't do the things that we feel we must do, rather than escaping for the new Jack Ryan series that's on Prime, or a vacation that somehow we hope in one week will reset all of the disorder of the last year. None of those things are bad, but rather than looking to those things to provide what we need, the practice of silence and solitude is a gift. And it is a practice and it is a thing that we can do now that will eventually help us do the thing we can't seem to do right now. And why is that? <clears throat> like what happens when we actually take time away? Whether it's a few minutes in the morning or the evening, once an hour, once a week, once <clears throat> a half day, every month. What happens in those moments? First of all, when we retreat and be silent, it trains us to listen first before we speak. Secondly, and you'll find this if you try to be silent, it, you know what it does for me? It reminds me how narcissistic I am. Like when I stop, all of the vain thoughts and the obsession with what other people think of me and fantasies about what I might become or might do. Actually, I find also I'm very condemning and hard on myself when I'm quiet and I listen to my thoughts. I realize how noisy my mind is and I can blame the world around me, but when I even turn those things off, all of the noise and the swirling that goes on, I actually begin to notice how chaotic my inner life is. And that's important to know. Also, one of the things that Sherbino notes is, oddly, is that being silent prepares us for death. You say, well, that's a bit of a morbid turn on a Sunday morning. Many people are afraid to die because they are afraid of being alone, because they have not realized in silence and solitude they are not alone, that God is with them. This is the irony of solitude. We come away to be alone to realize we are never alone. And the more we train ourselves to become aware of the presence of God, the less we are afraid to leave the world around us. The more we are actually prepared to move from this life to the next, we do not have to fear death or dying because it is not loneliness, but it is actually intimacy with God. But we actually have to practice. Again, that's the thing. How can I not be afraid of death in the moment? You cannot not be afraid. It's the moments before where you practice five minutes, 25 minutes, an hour of silence and solitude where you train your mind and your heart to become aware. Really, that's what silence and solitude simply does is to make us more aware of the presence of God and the voice of God. And if you say, okay, well, how will that, how will this help me with that? How's this gonna help me with that? Look at what can happen to us when we practice silence and solitude. First of all, we can be less narcissistic and self-obsessed. That's really important because we become aware of like how that's just my default mode. I become more aware of God. The more that I practice listening, the more of a good listener I am. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the most important things to help your relationships, that you learn as a person not to speak first. How many of us have words we'd love to get back because we didn't take time long enough to stop 
and listen. And so listening to God trains us first to shut our mouths and open our ears. And that actually will affect the way we treat all people. It also means we are less scattered because we are used to coming away. We are used to having a healthy separation between some of the chaos that goes around us and what is going on in our inner lives. It helps us to return back. See, this isn't about escaping life permanently. Jesus seemed to withdraw in the midst of life and then came back to it again. It wasn't about all the chaos and the busyness of my work and my relationships is evil, somehow I have to escape it. It's about actually saying I need to withdraw so that I come back again a little more grounded, a little more peaceful, a little less about me. And lastly, silence and solitude actually trains us to worry less and pray more. It's one of the practices when we are silent and all of the thoughts begin to swirl, we realize, oh wait, God, you're with me. And just like we would tell someone who is walking with us as things are coming to our mind, we start to realize, oh, I can actually talk to you. And so my worry turns into prayer because I realize you're with me. And so why would I think about this without telling you about it? I might say, well, that sounds really lofty. It's a practice. You don't kill it the first time. It's something we begin to do bit by bit more and more. And so to ask yourself, well, what does this look like on a daily basis? What might this look like in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? It's really, a, you know, the, the term an open and shut case? That's what this is. It's a shut the door, open the Bible, shut your mouth, open your ears. That's what this is. Right? How do I actually begin to do this and make myself open to what God has to say to me? Even for those of us that say, I'm not even sure he's there. But if he is, you'd want to know. And if he has words for you, you would want to hear them. And so in, in uh, David Sherman's book, Reconnect, which actually we, we, we have a bunch of copies for, for you if you want to grab them. They're 20 bucks. That's just the cost of what it costs to buy them. Um, actually teaches us how to do this. You can also get the Kindle book. I think it's like eight bucks or something. But if you were to start with 15 minutes, let me ask you, what would it, what would it take to carve out 15 minutes in your day? What would it take? Set the alarm 15 minutes earlier. You just sh shut off the screen 15 minutes earlier the night before. Maybe it's at the beginning of the day, maybe it's in the middle of the day, maybe it's the end of the day, maybe it's, it's in your car, maybe you have 15 minutes. Like how often in the car, as soon as we're in, boom, the radio's on, the music's on, the podcast's on, everything's on, the noise just continues right out from our house, right into the car, right into the office or school or wherever we are. So what does it mean to actually say, okay, what can I get? And, and what, if I could have 15 minutes, what could I do? 15 minutes of silence and solitude. Here's a little bit of a plan. Take two minutes of silence and just invite God to speak to you. You can snap this, don't, if you want to, just pull out your phone but this is in that book. Two minutes just saying, God, what, what could you say to me? Open my heart. Five minutes reading slowly through a passage. You can use one of the Psalms because they're all prayers anyways. Just read slowly. Five minutes, write down, what might God be saying to me in this moment? And three minutes to just stop, to breathe, and to let what he has said sit. Just 15 minutes. Maybe it doesn't work for you to do it every day. Maybe there's a block of time where you get an hour in a week. Or maybe once a month, you take a half day. And if you're single or you're in a stage of life where you don't have, you know, you, can, you, you have more control over your schedule, or if you have young kids at home and you're co-parenting, you know, maybe you could spell each other off and say, go, take three hours. It's not to clean the house. It's not to run an errand. It's not to play golf, but just none of that's wrong. Golf, 
causes me to sin. I told you that, so I don't play it. But you just think, what, what, could, what would I take three hours just being away? I'm just letting God begin to speak to me. If you're a single parent, you need help. Ask someone in this church, hey, can you watch my kids for a little bit? Could you help me do this? I need time to actually get away to begin to do this. And so if you want to grab one of those books, it's actually, I started reading it a year ago. It's a great companion to actually help you. And the whole first week is about silence and solitude. How do I actually do this? What I thought we're going to do is actually, we're going to do it this morning, just for a few minutes so you have a chance. Because why... You know, Tony began by inviting us to be open to the voice of God. So we're just going to take a few minutes to do that. I'm going to ask John and Mish, they're going to come and just sing a song. And it's a song that's about actually trying to move towards where God is. It's a song that says, you're here. Like, it's, you're here. You're with me. You're not an idea or something fixed in history. You are present with your people. And so they're going to sing. And then after they're done, we're going to have five minutes of silence. Now, let me just prepare you for this. It will feel like an eternity you will realize how noisy your thoughts are. And that's okay. This is about practice. This is about becoming aware. For some of you, it just may be becoming aware of what's swirling around in your head. On the screen, there'll be a couple of prompts to help you. A simple prayer, if you're getting distracted, it's called the breath prayer. You can just like, you know, breathe and actually just pray it, simple words. If you find there's distracting thoughts, just say, oh God, can I give that to you? Just, can I do the mental handoff? And just use this time. And don't have any expectations for it. Or how, and don't worry, am I doing it right? And don't worry if people are making noise or breathing funny or whatever. Just, we're just going to try to do that in a moment. And so after the song, you're just going to have five minutes and use that however you want. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, say, you know, just speak to me. Open to that. And if you're saying, I'm not sure, maybe you might use that time to just be open to God if he were to speak to you. Or if you say, I'm not sure about that either, to just become aware of yourself. What's, what's been going on in your head? Maybe this is the only time this week you've even had a chance to do it. And so they're gonna sing. We're gonna take five minutes of silence right after that. And then I'm just gonna close us in prayer.